Studio Tortu presents Deep Folk, Tales from the Generator. Deep Folk is a first-person adventure radio drama created using AI Dungeon Dragon Engine. Welcome, lost ones. You must have taken a wrong turn somewhere to have ended up here. A place so wretched and horrible that only the truly damned find themselves. Wait, what's that? The sound of bones scraping across stone? Teeth falling from a silent scream of despair? The timeless scratching of undead fingertips on the stone door of eternal damnation? Look here, the Dark Ones have a gift for you. Hello, Deep Folk Adventurers, and welcome to Evil Spirits, a special holiday Halloween tale from the generator. This episode was created and read by Malcolm Sutherland. You are Chad, a 12-year-old boy living in the small suburban town of Remberg. A mysterious accident in a nearby field has brought dozens of strange men and dark vehicles into town blocking off access to the field and refusing to provide any information. Given that it's just days from Halloween, the townsfolk have brushed off the event as some sort of Halloween prank and life continues on as normal. It's here where your adventure begins. You wake up on a Saturday morning with the comic book covering your face. The same one you fell asleep reading. Hello, fight! It features two men fighting in Halloween costumes. And the story goes that if they each beat each other's heads together, they can turn their opponents into skeletons. You have to go see this when it comes out as a movie, no matter what. Suddenly, there's the sound of a knock from the front door downstairs. You get up and go downstairs and peer through the peephole on the front door. Seeing the figure of a woman in hiking clothes, you open the door. You rub the sleep from your eyes and say, Yes, can I help you? The woman raises her eyebrows and says, I was looking for Jane Kelly's house. This is the address I have for her. You affirm that it is the right address and ask who might be looking for her. My name is Ruth and I'm with the Agriculture and Preservation Division. I'm just trying to gather information about what might have happened out there by the Carter Junction a couple days ago. Those agents who showed up aren't telling us anything, but we still need to have a local contingency plan in case it's an emergency. And the first step for that would be gathering... Get to the point, miss. You interrupt. Ruth seems taken aback. Um, uh, right. Is your mother home? Can I talk to her, please? The questions seem innocent enough, and you eye the woman suspiciously, and say, I'm sorry, but the circumstances are a little bit strange, and I've never met you before, eh, Mrs... Ruth, she says, searching through her bag before producing a business card and handing it to you. You look at the card and decide that she must be who she says she is. Okay, okay, keep your shirt on, you say, turning back inside the house. Mom! Someone's here to ask about the accident. You yell at the house. 
Who is it? You can hear your mother grumble from upstairs. You go upstairs and push the bathroom door open, snapping on the lights to see your mom in her underwear hunched over the toilet. <clears throat> oh shit, mom. You yelp, taken aback. I didn't expect you to be in such a delicate position when I came in. Get out of here, turn your head. She commands. Oh, what the fuck? You say as you go back to the front door. Mum's been on the sauce again, so maybe come back later. You slam the door in her face and go to the kitchen for a bowl of chocolate chip characters. You see Ruth out the living room window as she moves on to your neighbor's house. She gazes at you in concern before disappearing from sight. Your eyes fall on the living room, a spacious rectangular space adorned with framed master's prints and furnished with both a big screen TV and a large leather couch. Next to the sofa is a matching leather recliner and a beautiful coffee table. Oh, fuck all this shit. I wish I had some real parents. Suddenly you feel a sting on your cheek. You just got hit with a glass lemonade cup that smells like heaven. You say, Oh, what the fuck, Gran? What are you doing? I'm your mum as far as Miss Ruth there is concerned, you. She angrily snarls. Now go outside and play in the woods. Ow! There's a good boy now. Now go! Rubbing your cheek, you grab your Walkman and your skateboard and start to head out the back door. Maybe you'll go over to Michael's house later if his mom will pick you up like she did last time. You stop at the double door that leads to the backyard. Jam it under the bottom crack! Yells Grandma Dorothy, and another lemonade glass explodes near your head. You see her run out the other door, and do as you're told and jam your fingers under the bottom crack. You pull the door open and head out, throwing your skateboard down and gliding off down the street. It's early still, and there's almost no one out except the odd person watering their front lawn or walking their dog. You round a wide corner and glide past a house where you see Ruth talking to a man in his house coat. She doesn't notice you. The low, one-story, cookie-cutter houses roll past on your way down to Main Street. Main Street, a short strip of small shops and restaurants on either side of the street that hardly deserves its name. With nothing else to do, you bum around on Main Street for a while. But before long, the suspicious look of shopkeepers and other passers-by start to get on your nerves. What's this? Asks a man in a suit to his wife as he walks by, pointing at you. It looks like something from outer space. I think it's an alien dog, she says to her husband. The couple turns to you, then back to each other. They both turn and walk away. Ah, uh, fuck it, you say. I'll just go to Michael's house myself. You skate for a quarter mile out of town before coming across an intersection. The crossroads are rimmed by farmers' fields on all sides, and there is a thin mist in the cool morning air. You are without a map, so you have no idea which way leads to Chicago and which way leads to Michael's house. It's strange that you've known Michael almost your whole life, yet you've only ever passed this way in a car and never bothered to pay attention. You kick the dirt and curse your drunken mother. You don't care where you end up. Although, if you did go to Chicago, there's the small chance you might find your father and his girlfriend, wherever they are. Not that he would care, or even notice. You flip a coin and head east. Before long, you're stopped by a man in a black suit and sunglasses, standing next to a large, dark truck. Hey there, champ. Do you live in town? He asks in a heavy southern drawl. 
You instantly dislike the man. Yeah, who the fuck are you? You sneer. Whoa there, boy. My name is Constable Roy. I'm a police officer, and it's my duty and privilege to ask you where you might be going this fine morning, the man says in an unnaturally pleasant tone. This guy doesn't look like a police officer, but you don't want to get in any trouble, so you say, Just going to a friend's. And what's the address? You don't know the address. Uh, 77 Southwood Drive. You lie without any hesitation. Well now, I don't know where that is, but you can't pass this way. The fake police officer says cheerfully as he begins patting his pockets for coins and pulling out cards with pictures on them. Here now, have a baseball card, kid. Y'all turn around and go back to town, then take a ride. That'll set you up proper. You scowl at the man as you throw your skateboard down and head off the way you came. What a creep. You look over your shoulder and are about to flip him the finger when you notice a strange sight in the field just beyond where he's standing. Poking out through patches in the mist, you can see several men digging holes. You rub your eyes and look again. The men are still there, and they're still digging holes. But it's not just that. There seems to be some kind of light coming from the holes they're digging. They seem to have their own light source because you can see the holes glowing from where you're standing. Yes, you're sure of it now. Despite the mist, there is definitely light emanating from the holes that the men are digging. And the men are still there, standing in the field, digging. You look back at the man in the suit, who is still watching you. He looks at you, then at the digging men, then back to you, then starts walking towards you. You quickly turn and head back towards town. Hey, wait there, son. Come on back here. He calls after you, but you skate as fast as you can back towards town. At the crossroads, you head off in the other direction, hoping to find Michael's house. The mist seems to thicken in this direction, despite the fact that the hour is getting on into mid-morning. The ride seems tense and long. You keep checking over your shoulder for any sign of a black truck. When you finally pull up in front of Michael's one-story farmhouse, you run to the back door and rap on the glass. Hello? You hear his mom call from the front room. Come on in, she says. You say, Ah, uh, hi, Mrs. Russell. Is Michael here? You head to the front room and find Mrs. Russell on the couch watching TV. She's a short, plump woman with bottle blonde hair going gray. She looks up at you and smiles. Oh, hey, Chad. You're just in time, she says, gesturing towards the TV. The news is on. You walk into the living room and look over her shoulder at the TV. Welcome to Saturday Morning Tonight, the news anchor says. We have all your local Remberg news coming up, as well as some national and international news. But first, Rebecca, over to you. Thanks, David. I'm here with Agent Stanberg from the Federal Division, who has finally agreed to give us a statement on the mysterious goings-on just outside of town. A female reporter stands next to a man in a black suit. Agent Stansberg, can you shed any light on what's been happening out here over the past couple of days? Is this some kind of Halloween prank? Why all the secrecy? Well, now, Rebecca, this is no joke. And as a journalist, secrecy is sometimes necessary for the greater good of society. Now, you know that. There's no need to worry yourself about it, though. The situation is under control. The interview continues on with the man in the suit, politely dodging the reporter's questions and providing no real information. 
After a few more questions, the interview ends and the news goes on to other stories. You turn to Mrs. Russell. I'm going to go see Michael. Suit yourself, hon. He's out back by the treehouse. You walk outside and around the side of the house to the giant tree in the backyard. There, you see your best friend, Michael, with a weed in his mouth and a branch in his hand. Michael, I just saw the weirdest thing. You're not even going to believe it. You say, Chad, he says, not looking up. No, really, there are these men down the road and they're digging these crazy holes. You wouldn't believe it. There's like, I don't know, there's something coming out. You wouldn't, Michael. He looks up at you and scowls. Chad, you have no idea what you're talking about. But You try to interject, but he pays you no mind and goes back to whittling his stick. Man, fuck you, Michael. I just saw the craziest thing ever, and you're just acting like it's no big deal. He stands and turns to you, his eyes now full of rage. Chad, you must be confused. Michael is gone. I am Balgor, sixth archdemon of the lower hells and gatekeeper on this earthly Hallow's Eve, he says, raising his hand to your face. And if you know what's good for you, you will submit to me like everyone else in this town. You stand there for a second, shocked by this turn of events. You fumble for your skateboard and take one step backwards. Michael's expression changes and he starts to laugh. <laughs> you pussy, I totally got you. He smiles and sits back down on the tree stump, picking up his piece of wood and continuing to carve it. You say, Oh, get stuffed, Michael. I was serious about those guys in the field. He smiles at you and nods his head. I know. Oh my god, you know? He says, Yeah, how can I not? They're just down the road from here. I snuck over there last night after music lessons to have a look, but I couldn't get very close. That's why me and you are going to head over there tonight and see what's really down those holes. What? No way, dude. My old man said that if I get caught out after dark again, he's going to beat my butt blue. Pussy. Your dad's off in Chicago with that whore. You think he gives a fuck about you? Just leave your mom a message that you're sleeping over. It's Halloween anyways. We're supposed to be out at night. She won't care. If you're really my friend, you'll come with me. Ah, oh, fine. You spend the rest of the day at Michael's house making your costumes and some crude weapons out of sticks and preparing for your midnight expedition. You look up from your paper mache skeleton mask and turn to Michael. Do you really think we're gonna find something out there? Don't you watch the news? There's no way they'd be covering it up like this if it was nothing. We're bound to find something out there after dark. The day passes quickly and by dinner time you're putting the final touches on your costumes. You are a skull-headed Freemason in a dark robe, wielding a heavy bow and quiver full of stout willow arrows tipped with some kind of special metal fasteners that Michael had in his garage. Michael is costumed as a stone golem with lava running through its veins, made out of hockey pads painted black and red. He carries a dangerous looking wooden sword and a real knife hidden in his belt. As the street lamps come on, you and Michael head out into the backyard to discuss your plan. The sound of Mrs. Russell watching TV comes from inside the house. So do you know the way? You ask. I was over there a few nights ago and followed a couple of the men. I think I remember the way to the holes. 
All right, let's go stealth mode when we get close. Let's book it. The two of you sneak off on foot, heading back down the road towards the junction. In the darkness, you're unable to see anything but a couple of dim lights from the farmhouses around. Night has fallen quickly, and before long, stars twinkle overhead. And as you pass by a few patches of smaller forest, you hear some of the larger nighttime creatures beginning to stir. The same mist seems to cling to the ground as you walk silently down the country road, passing endless rows of wheat and fence posts. Everything is quiet in the surrounding fields as you follow the road back towards the place where you met the fake police officer in the black truck. You walk along slowly, careful not to create too much noise. Are you sure this is the way? You whisper, unable to see any distinguishable landmarks. Yeah, I'm sure. Who do you think these fuckheads are anyway? You say, unable to contain your curiosity. The only people I can think of are government or some kind of secret alien organization, Michael replies, laying out his theory. Yeah, fuck, I bet there's like an alien down there or a bunch of dead fucking bodies or some shit. Dead bodies? What are you talking about? The whole reason why the government's covering everything up? You're an idiot, he laughs, slapping you on the shoulder. Oh, fuck you, Michael. You don't even know what it is either, you say. The two of you banter back and forth as you walk down the road towards the mysterious site. The trees seem to be getting closer and closer together, and the moonlight from above is bright enough that it makes everything look like it's lit by an unnatural glow. It would appear you've finally reached your destination, the spot where you met Officer Roy earlier. You say, Oi, shut up. I think we're close. The two of you continue to walk down the road until you see a rutted path leading off to the side through a break in the fence. Oi, it's down this way. Let's skirt around the back. We don't want to get caught out here, Michael says, and the two of you slink off to the side, making a wide arc around the area where you think you saw the holes. There's no sign of light coming from anywhere, and suddenly you start to wonder if you imagined the whole thing. There's nothing even out here, you whisper to Michael. Shh, he hisses back. I saw it on the map. We're in the right place. Just keep looking. The two of you continue walking slowly, searching the ground around you. Suddenly, you notice a small light in the distance. Did you see that? You ask, staring in the direction of the light. What the hell is that? A flashlight, Michael answers bluntly. Someone else is out here. Shit, get down, he says, hitting the deck and crawling behind a large rock. You copy his movements and the two of you hide behind the boulder. Don't move, he declares, holding his hand up to your chest to hold you back. It's the coppers. The light gets closer and closer, and soon it becomes clear that there are two figures holding flashlights walking towards your location. The two men stop nearby, and you can hear one of them lighting a cigarette. After a few minutes, they continue on, heading off in a different direction. Jesus, fuck, says Michael. That was close. I bet the holes are just over that rise there where they came from. You both take out your weapons and continue on towards the rise. The two of you crawl towards the edge and look down. There. Below, you see a wide depression in the field with several dig sites set up inside the perimeter. Each site has a tarp covering what looks like a large hole beneath. You see a faint light 
coming from beneath the tarps. Several men patrol the area, and there are tables and crates and boxes of what looks like lab equipment strewn about. What do we do? You ask, terrified. We go down and have a look, Michael says with a wild look in his eye. No way in hell, you protest. They'll see us for sure. Pussy, he says, and starts to crawl down the other side towards a pile of boxes nearby. Wait, you say. Don't. But he's already gone. You sit near the edge of the rise, looking down on the camp for several long seconds before following him down. You take cover behind the boxes, weapons in hand. A quick peek around the side shows nothing amiss, and Michael motions you to follow him once more. You sneak from box to box, approaching a nearby tarp. You look around the side and see a man in a lab coat, pacing in front of one of the holes. He has his hands clasped behind his back and is muttering to himself. The sample's gone, he says. The membrane isn't stable yet. I am not sure about this. He continues to murmur to himself, I need to call the director. He finally concludes and heads off towards a low tent on the other side of the site. Michael and you look at each other, nod, and rise from behind the boxes. He gestures for you to follow him towards the tarp. The two of you creep towards it, Michael staying low and crawling the whole time. You snap your skull mask down, feeling somehow safer as you look through the narrow openings. You crawl low and slowly towards the hole, taking care not to make the slightest sound. Michael slowly lifts the edge of the tarp and looks down into the hole, a strange liquid light coming up from below and dancing in his eyes. He stops as if completely frozen. What is it? You whisper urgently, looking around for any guards nearby. What's down there? You want to look, but something holds you back. A deep fear has taken root in your mind, and you feel very certain that something horrible will happen if you look inside. Michael starts to make a sound. At first you think he's trying to say something, but then realize it's much lower than that. It sounds almost like a growl. He's looking down at the hole with an intense anger, and his hands are clenched into fists. You can't help but stare at him, wondering what could possibly be wrong. He continues to hold himself in place, staring straight ahead. His mouth hangs open slightly, and you notice his teeth. They seem to be sharpening right before your eyes. You have to stay calm right now. You look down at his hands and notice with a start that there are strange lumps forming on the back of his skin. It looks as though large hunks of flesh are just starting to rise up from beneath his skin. You look back into his eyes, and they are burning with a deep anger. You can't help yourself. You start to inch away. What? A trickle of blood appears from the corner of his mouth, and the sound from his throat deepens even further. The lumps in his hands are starting to open as the skin retracts to reveal large, jagged spikes. You need to do something fast, but you are utterly frozen with fear. You look again into his eyes and see pure, raw hatred. You get to your feet and start to run towards the tent where the man in the lab coat was headed. You don't care how much trouble you're in. You need help, and now. You run past the boxes towards the opening in the tent and realize with horror that behind you, you can hear what must be Michael in hot pursuit. Your feet slip on some gravel and you can feel him reaching for you. 
his breathing deep and ragged like some kind of awful beast. You manage to get back up to your feet and keep running towards the opening of the tent, crashing inside and toppling over a table full of metal instruments. Several men look up from their work, startled. Time seems to slow down as you look around the tent, and to your horror, you see several bodies strapped to medical tables. They are all clearly dead, but what has happened to them you could not say. One body has a large geometric shape sticking out from one side, as if some cruel sculptor had decided to turn half the man into a geodesic sphere. Another body seems stretched out impossibly long, its limbs splitting off and braiding themselves together like some impossibly gnarled viking beard. Another body looks as if it has been painted from a wild palette of psychedelic colors, only the painter has pushed too hard with his brush and left large gobs of paint everywhere. None of it makes any sense. One of the men pulls out a long rifle and points it at you, just as Michael bursts through the tent flap behind you. You are horrified by what meets your eyes. Michael has changed. His skin no longer quite human, looking more like hard leather with sharp edges. His mouth is twisted in a permanent grin and several metal tusks are sticking out of his face. The worst, however, are his hands. His beautiful hands that played the piano so well. They are twisted and gnarled with sharpened points sticking out along his finger bones, just waiting to be used as weapons. Get down, the man says, and you instinctively cover your head. The man pulls the trigger and a bolt of electricity shoots out of the end of the gun, hitting Michael right between the eyes. He lets out a horrible scream and tumbles backwards, his hands flying up to his scorched face. He recovers quickly and you can see that several small chunks of his head have slipped to the ground and seem to be moving on their own. He screams again and again and his hands find their way to his ears to try and block out the horrible sound. You see blood start to pour out of his ears as he wails, clawing at his skin. In a matter of seconds, Michael, your best friend in the whole world, that asshole, has ripped himself into ribbons, strips of rough flesh that writhe on the ground like a knot of serpents. You watch in horror as his soul climbs out of his skin and takes the form of an evil-looking hollow mask floating upwards towards the ceiling. It opens its mouth and you hear his voice. Chad, buddy, I told you I was Balgor. <laughs> you say, Michael, I'm sorry, what's happening? Balgor laughs a horrible, hollow laugh. <laughs> Michael is gone. He came to me last night and I took his body. Tonight he was meant to bring me you as well, but you were too much of a pussy to look under the tarp. Well, no matter. His body is finished. I'll have to split up into these lesser forms now. One of the writhing tentacles of flesh suddenly wraps around your ankle and you scream and start to scramble back towards the guard. The tentacle keeps you from reaching him and lashes your foot away from under you. You scream again as the tentacles quickly surround both of your legs and your waist, carrying you up towards the ceiling. The guard fires a bolt and hits one of the tentacles, sending you crashing back down to the ground. You get up and run, but only make it a few feet before a tentacle snaps up from the floor and grabs your leg, pulling you back. You hear a slice as your leg is cut deeply by one of the jagged spikes on the tentacle and you let out a horrible scream. The tentacle snakes up your body, wrapping around your waist. Suddenly, you remember your weapons. 
You fumble for the quiver on your back and manage to pull out one of your homemade arrows, brandishing it high overhead. The tentacle snakes up your stomach, and you ram the arrow straight into the rubbery flesh. The tentacle instantly releases you, and you manage to claw your way once more towards the guard, your head swimming. The guard lets loose another bolt and sends the tentacle flopping backwards, dragging you away with his free hand. God damn it, kid! What the hell were you two doing out here? He shouts angrily, firing another bolt to keep the tentacles off of you. Your eyes snap open and you give a violent shake of your head, grabbing the side of a nearby truck. Snap, snap, snatches. You wheeze out, far too tired to explain and just surprised you're still alive. The guard rolls his eyes at you and mutters, Jesus, under his breath. Now is not the time to pass out, boy. We might need your help. He snaps, shaking you roughly. Your mind snaps into focus and you unsling your bow and notch an arrow, aiming into the mass of tentacles. The guard grabs your shoulder. Don't waste your arrows, kid. This thing will just regenerate. We need to get out of here. You remember making these arrows with Michael and the special metal fasteners that you got from his garage. You think there might be more power in them than the guard realizes. Just give me a second, you say. You focus taking in a deep breath and aiming right for the center of the mass of tentacles. I'm sorry, Michael Snatcher. You whisper, and then you let your arrow fly. You hit the center of mass and suddenly everything goes quiet. The mass of tentacles slowly shrinks into the floor. You hear a little giggle and a boy, a little boy wearing a torn cloth around his neck suddenly appears. I didn't think you'd come he says, looking at you. It's Michael, as he was on the day that you met so many summers ago. I'm sorry, Chad. I just wanted you to come with me, he says. You say, Michael, where are you? I'm in the darkness now, and it's nice, Chad. Hold on to my hand so we can be together, the boy says, smiling at you. A chill runs up your spine. This isn't the Michael you once knew. You can see now that the boy is dead, but like a parasite, his terrible disease has possessed his mind. Chad, come here, he asks, tilting his head to one side. We can be together, and there's so much fun we can have. Come on, we'll climb the trees to heaven and play with the pretty lights. The boy begins to walk towards you. His eyes are runny and puffy. His nose is bleeding and he looks pale. Chad, hold my hand, he says quietly. You begin to tremble. No, this is the work of some terrible demon. It has to be. It couldn't possibly be the boy you knew. M Michael, well, what happened to you? Chad, there you are. I've been looking all over for you. You hear a voice coming from behind you. You spin around and see your grandma Dorothy at the doorway, her brown overcoat covering up her lace nightgown underneath. You and Michael are in big trouble, sneaking out here in the middle of the night. Now you apologize to these nice men, and then I'm taking you straight home. You turn back to Michael. He's not there anymore. In his place is a strange black orb with tentacles slowly waving about. You feel an ominous presence watching you. Come on, get Michael and let's go. 
Dorothy says. Grandma, I... You stammer. Well, put him in a bag or something, she shouts. I don't care. The man in the trench coat hands you a bag marked biohazard, and carefully you manage to slip the black orb into the bag and seal it tight. Come on, your mother is going to be very upset with you, she says. She would have come herself, but she's got a, uh, a stomachache. You apologize to the men and take the bag and your bow and arrow and follow your grandma back out to the road where her car is parked. You don't say a word on the car ride home, and neither does your grandma. She keeps looking at you in the rearview mirror, though, and shaking her head, as if trying to figure out what exactly is wrong with you. You can't believe you're still alive, and possibly for the first time, you feel a spark of happiness at the thought of seeing your mother again. You know she has had a hard time after your father left with that stripper. You remember your mother as she used to be, smiling and laughing with the sunlight in her hair. She must still love you like that deep down inside somewhere. After all, she's the one who stuck around. If there's anyone on earth who you can feel safe with now, it has got to be her. You finally pull into the driveway. The sun is coming up, and you see your mother waiting for you outside, dressed in her bathrobe. The light catches her hair, and you might be imagining it in a dim light, but you think you see a smile. You get out of the car and walk shakily up to her on your bloodied leg, the bag with the orb of Balgor in one hand. You feel so small, you want to tell her everything, about the holes, the men, and Michael. Oh, poor Michael. Tears start to fill your eyes and you can barely stand. Mom. Mom. She looks down at you and her face catches the morning light with the sunlight in her hair. And suddenly, you notice a bottle in her hand. You have been listening to Evil Spirits, created by Malcolm Sutherland and written with AI Dungeon Dragon Engine. This special Halloween episode of Deep Folk Tales from the Generator is a Studio Tortu production and was recorded in October of 2020.